Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, we have Isaiah Jackson, author of Bitcoin and Black America. We're having a catch up. It's been a while, and he's been a busy man. That's coming up today in our long-form podcast on the Decrypt Daily. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to the show. Today is Friday, February 12th, 2021. Today, all we're going to do is talk to Isaiah Jackson. It's a longer show already, so I don't want to get too long. So you guys are like, hey, what, a 30-minute podcast, a 40-minute podcast? This is this is not usual for the Decrypt Daily. I like to stay during the week. Anywhere around 15 minutes is great. Weekend, five minutes. And on Fridays, we go a little bit longer sometimes to 20, 25 minutes. So we're going to get into that conversation right after crypto prices. Just want to let you know that there are not no headlines at the end, just this conversation. But I'll be back tomorrow for the weekend update for lots of news because there's always news coming out. Here are those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And I'm recording this at 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $47,700.94, down a half a percent from yesterday. To be honest, the whole crypto market is pretty much going sideways. A couple fluctuations, ups and downs, but nothing dramatic. Ethereum is $1,818.80, up a percent from yesterday. Litecoin, $189.38, up a half a percent from yesterday. Chainlink, $29.76, up 5.4% from yesterday, but it did cross the $30 mark earlier today. And XRP, 59.9 cents, up 11% from yesterday. Actually, that's kind of dramatic. Total market cap, we're sitting at $1.46 trillion, up 1.1% from yesterday, with a BTC dominance of 60.6%. Top 10 coins, we have Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, Cardano at number 4, XRP number 5, Polkadot, Binance Coin, Litecoin, Chainlink, and number 10, we have Stellar. If you guys were wondering, Dogecoin is at number 12 at 6.7 cents. And like I said, I'm doing a catch up with Isaiah Jackson, the author of Bitcoin and Black America. We're going to talk about his book. We're going to talk about his sales. We're going to talk about his businesses. We're going to talk about his life. We're just going to catch up in general and, of course, talk about the crypto space. Enjoy the conversation, and I'll be back at the end just to wrap things up. Oh, man, glad to be back, brother. 100 percent. Look, man, I, you're like one of the first or second people on the show. And I, I was covering your book. I was covering what you're doing for the crypto space. Your niche is to write a book to empower black people, how to take their monetary power back. Like One of your things is you need to control the money. And Bitcoin is a way for everybody to control their money. And you're saying black people need to control the money because they need to take the power back into their hands, have wealth, develop wealth and develop power within America. Ever since you said that, ever since you launched, relaunched your book with a second edition, you've just blown up, man. And I just really want to come back and catch up with you. I want everybody to hear one of your story, what you've been up to, and we'll just go from there. First, man, what have you been up to? How's it going? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I've been pretty busy. Uh, did, did, I had a three-month-year-old daughter, uh, <laughs> a three-month-old daughter, and uh, I ha- had a move, appreciate it, a, a move across the country from California to North Carolina uh, to try and start the uh, family life. But 
since then, been writing, uh, reading a lot, and then uh, establishing a lot of different projects, which we'll get into. But yeah, since the book came out, uh, the first book, there was a lot of interest. And then when the second book came out, you're right, it just hit a fever pitch. I think after uh, last summer, after the George Floyd protest, uh, when we saw a lot of people with the Bitcoin and Black America signs at different protests, also think some of the people like Jack Dorsey shouting out the book, as well as other billionaires like Mike Novogratz. I think once those people uh, started shouting the book out and started, you know, telling people about myself, that's when everything pretty much took off. And I always say, as an independent author, I'm not really focused on large groups of sales. It's who are you selling this book to or who is getting this information? Because a lot of times they are the gatekeepers. And tell me about the hustle, man. I remember last time we were on, you were telling me like, look, I need to get this book into people's hands. So they read it, figure out what I'm saying, figure out that it's important to what I'm saying, and then it will organically grow. Well, you're organically growing. How did Novogratz get that book in his hand? How did uh, Dorsey get it, get it into his hand? Did you send it to him? Or was it just like, tell me that story. How did you get this book in the hand? So they started shout giving you that shout out. Oh, yeah. So I just want to say I have never actually reached out to anybody for a podcast or interview or for a book ever in my life. So anything that's come has come from them to me. And I think because of a few different things. For one, I don't there's never been a book directly written for black people about Bitcoin. So I think that was, you know, sort of first mover advantage. I also think that they realize that in the next century, we will have a much more diverse financial economy and Bitcoin allows for that. And if that's going to going to be the case, black people, brown people, Indian, Asian, it doesn't matter. Everybody is going to need a use case for Bitcoin. So I just wanted to bring that use case. And I think once people realized that they started to see that, hey, in the new economy, we're either going to be a part of it or we're going to be against it. And I think that's where that those shout outs came from. And I appreciate all of them. I just wish that uh, <laughs> a lot of it came earlier because some people think it's too late. It's still early. But I wish, you know, 2015, 2016, we were more on it because the value that could have been created could have been in the billions, even maybe trillions, uh, you know, from that point. But we still have a shot uh, right now. When people say it's too late, are you saying that they think that the price is too high to get involved? Yes, they think the price is too high, but that's just unit bias. You can buy Satoshis, you can buy a, a small amount. And right now, one million Satoshis is about 450 bucks. $450 could make you or your grandchild a millionaire. Like, think about that. I mean, one dollar could equal a Satoshi. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? That in 10, 20 years, uh, right. $450 investment, which everybody can afford, could make your grandkids a millionaire. And that's what it's about, right? None of us really own Bitcoin. We're just holding it for the next generation. So that's essentially what I'm telling a lot of black people for generational wealth. Well, my, my buddy just sent me a, a picture the other day of him with two ledgers and he had two of them held up. He's like, these are for my nieces. And I'm saying mm -hmm. to him in the UK and he's like, there's a thousand dollars in sats here. There's a thousand dollars in sats here. Let's see what happens when they turn 18. They're three months right now. Let's see mm -hmm. what goes on. It's probably same age as, uh, as yeah. your newborn. Um, <laughs> so people are really thinking about 18 years in the future, what Bitcoin will look like in evolved with finances. But then you just mentioned that you just said, you know, look, we are you said Novogratz and Dorsey, they are understanding that way financial markets are going to be made up in the future are going to change. What do you think that they're looking at in the future? And what do you, what are you looking at for the future of the financial markets? Oh, yeah. So I know for a fact that financial markets will be more decentralized. Uh, decentralization is on the spectrum. So we'll see how far that can go. But because of that fact, we will have financial markets in areas that were historically ignored. So we're talking about in Africa, in places like Zimbabwe, Ghana, Senegal. We're talking about in Latin America, places like Brazil and Costa Rica and Belize, uh, Venezuela. Uh, some of these places that have been ignored economically, once the quote unquote really rich people in fiat dollars realize that, which they are starting to now, 
um, and that Bitcoin is a tool to push away that suppression, there's no debate at that point. They have to include everybody. And because of that point, I think the leverage for the Black community as well as other communities to enter this financial market is here. We have our leverage now. Bitcoin is that leverage. And uh, as soon as that starts to pick up and it becomes less of a quote unquote white man's game, I think people will understand uh, this market is different. Nobody can just walk into it and change the rules like the current financial system. So with that being said, we can actually establish the wealth. You can actually build preservation of wealth long term. I guess what my question was with that is, what do you see the financial market? We could say that mm -hmm. decentralization, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's 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 kind of like an overall general like, oh, things will be decentralized. But do you see mm -hmm. any markets coming from this? Do you see any kind of jobs or different ways of using your money to come from this that you think is going to be very much prevalent in 10 to 20 years? Yeah, so a few ways I see it affecting it. For one, the bond market, we have negative rates right now. People will start moving in from bonds to Bitcoin. Uh, as far as the store of value, what I see is you'll see a lot of people using Bitcoin as a store of value, but because of Bitcoin's price action and increase in value, this is what I think will happen. There will be businesses that will say, hey, the inflation rate is too high. We don't even want to accept dollars anymore. Milk will be $18 or something or whatever. And they'll say, hey, why, why are we accepting dollars? They inflate. They'll say, OK, we exclusively want to accept Satoshis or crypto. Then the people who are consumers are going to say, yeah, that's fine, but we don't want to spend our Bitcoin. So you're going to have to give us a massive discount. That's mm -hmm. when you'll start to see technology decrease the price of goods. That's when you'll see people transacting in Satoshis. That's when the price of goods will be available so that the average person can afford a lot of the goods that they could not before because technology makes everything cheaper. That's the difference that I see happening. And because of that decentralization, that can happen anywhere in the world. So a small community can start that and then they can attract people to come there because of those low prices. So I think that's what we'll see in the next 10 to 20 years. And uh, a great book, Jeff Booth, The Price of Tomorrow, he talks mm -hmm. about the deflationary nature of technology without mentioning Bitcoin once. He doesn't even say Bitcoin one time in the book, but he's basically describing it. And I think that is what we'll see in the future. You know, you mentioned Africa and you mentioned like uh, different countries or different places being able to be empowered by Bitcoin as well. You know, we just saw Nigeria news come out that they're trying to shut down exchanges and everything. They're, 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 governments are literally limiting <laughs> the power of people because they see that there's a threat here. They see that there's a model that in works that, that nobody can stop. Uh, and they're saying, we're going to just shut off our people to this. What do you think about that? And do you think that that can last for long? Do you think that it's going to hold them back as a country or as a people? As a government regulatory body, that will hold them back because you basically just got rid of all the innovation that could come into your country. However, Bitcoin itself, no, it, it does nothing to ban Bitcoin or to ban cryptocurrency. China has done it a number of times. India has done it a number of times. What's happened to the price? It's exploded since then because prohibition doesn't work. Whenever you try to stop something, the value of it increases because it's harder to get. So all they're doing is hurting themselves. I think what they've done is a temporary ban so that they can figure out how to make money from it and then they'll bring mm -hmm. it back. Much like China, much like India, much like the US, even though it wasn't an official US ban, when Google shuts down all ads, when YouTube shuts down all crypto videos, when you can't even search it without there being a flag, that's essentially a shutdown. But what happened after that? They brought it all back <laughs> once they could control right. it. That, that's all I think is happening here. I think Nigeria's playbook is not to get rid of it completely, it's to control it because they see regular people making way too much money.
I think that's the same thing with like every other country. I mean, the United States is the same way. We're just trying to figure out how to regulate it. And for the most part, you know, regulation can be good. You know, you don't want people yeah. to get screwed by scams and what have you. You want people to be able to use this new technology, this new and, and on-ramp and off-ramp um, if they need to in a, in a very safe, inefficient manner without getting scammed. I, I, we're, we're talking about too much uh, world politics now. I, and we always, <laughs> I, I get sidetracked sometimes, but I, 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 we're talking we're talking about you, man. I, I want to know, you moved from California to North Carolina. Carolina. What's up in North Carolina? What, what businesses have you started? You said you were getting into businesses and, and tell me about that and, and a little bit about your family, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. So last year, 2020 was the pandemic. So, um, or, you know, coronavirus started. So in March of last year, I actually moved back to the East coast. Uh, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. So I moved back here okay. because starting a family in Charlotte, much easier than starting in LA. Uh, I still have my home in LA, so I'm pretty bi-coastal, but I did that, uh, moved across the country, moved into a new house, um, <laughs> had the daughter, wrote a new book. Um, mm. Also, as far as other businesses, uh, now involved with CoinFlip ATM uh, as an ATM owner myself. Uh, glad to give it a, another possibility for people to purchase Bitcoin. Also working uh, with uh, eToro now. Uh, our show, The Gentleman of Crypto, which is a daily show. We're at episode 656. Uh, that show will actually be on Talk Shop Live, which is coming soon, our weekly wrap-up. Um, I have a new show on Coindesk called Community Crypto, which will be airing oh, this month. Yep. So okay. we'll be basically interviewing live meetup groups and talking about subjects that pertain to them locally. Uh, so how can Bitcoin solve it? Sort of trying to be the Mordain of Bitcoin, so to say. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on with that, uh, as well as... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. The general crypto I did mention, but the podcast is out now on Spotify. I mean, just just doing a bunch of different things, planning an NFT art show. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it never stops, literally, uh, in this market. So much so much to do. I also have a virtual Bitcoin summer camp this summer and the Bitcoin and Black America book tour starting this summer as well. So oh, dope. Yeah. You, so you, you coming I, to Cleveland? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cleveland's on the list. Uh, I want to hit every state, uh, at least one city in every state. And then if not more, so at least 50 cities. And right now uh, we have about seven already planned. So, yep, uh, I want to see people in person and I have a lot of work to do as far as meeting people. But uh, I think this book tour is going to be great. All right. So if you're in Cleveland, make sure you hit me up, man. You oh, know what yeah, I'm mad. You. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. What year were you born, man? Uh, 1989. 89 man i was i was just wondering because i remember the starter jackets the charlotte starter jackets that everybody needed back in the day you had one uh oh yeah definitely i <laughs> i say it all the time. <laughs> i just said it yesterday i just bought some charlotte hornet shorts and i said i need the starter jacket to get these shorts right because <laughs> when i was when i was younger people were getting beat up over those jackets 100 <laughs> over here in cleveland I mean, too it's like, like we have our own starter jackets why you want charlotte yeah well charlotte to me has the best colors of all time best nba right. Uh, colors ever and i think they were voted best of all time besides either them or the magic the old magic jersey so yeah mm -hmm. i think the old, old hornets nobody's even close that's the best throwback ever that's hilarious man that's hilarious you you are definitely busy um you're i got i got distra i distracted myself see with that with, with the charlotte <laughs> with the starter jackets going down memory lane i have a nostalgia now thinking of myself mm -hmm. in middle school trying to trying to get one of them jackets my mom would never get me one of those jackets they're like a, over a hundred dollars or something back in the I, day Man, tell me about it. <laughs> My mom wouldn't even look that way if I had to <laughs> nope. like, What are you talking about? I, she did she did find one over in like uh in Goodwill one time that was that was like all dirty and stuff. She, she was like, You want this? I was like, nah. Nah. <laughs> nah. Which is funny because today people would wear it because it's like vintage fashion. So they would there wear you go. it. Dirty. 
It's crazy. It's, it's crazy times we live in. Dirty, I, I, dirty as fashion. Your, your move from uh, California to North Carolina, you said it was because of COVID or is it because you're just leaving California because you're just over California? Because a lot of people are leaving California right now for many different reasons. Taxation, they just don't like uh, the environment. They think the government's failing. What was your reasons? My daughter. I, I just feel like it's easier to raise a child in Charlotte with all my family around. Grandmothers are here. Aunts are here. Brothers, sisters. Uh, all, of the, all of them are in Charlotte versus in L.A because LA would just be us out there by ourselves, which is fine, but I think in Charlotte, in Charlotte is better. Uh, as a kid growing up in Charlotte, it's such a great place to, to grow up. I do think I've quote unquote outgrown it from a business standpoint, that's why I went to LA. But I think when you're a child, Charlotte's a great place. It's quiet, it's, it's nice, uh, it's not much going on. And because it is a pandemic, the reason to be in LA is kind of gone. <laughs> like if you can't really go outside, can't do anything. It's like, why am I in LA? Why am I in New York? Uh, but right. yes, I still I still have a place there. It's still by coastal. Um, and I'll definitely be out there a lot during the book tour, at least at least five days. Right on, right on. With your book and, and, and then the message that you're trying to give to everybody. Well, I've seen you on the news a lot, man. First, I, I, with, with your news appearances, man, how nervous were you? <laughs> uh, not much, only because I've been, do- I've, I've been doing this so long and the clips were like five minutes. But the questions they were asked, I've been answering these questions since 2015, 2014. Right. You know what I mean? Like volatility. What do you think? And it's like, ah, the same shit I thought when I first got into it. It doesn't matter. Right, right. Because <laughs> it's a scarce asset. So I wasn't scared. I was nervous because it's the first time on national TV. But I knew I'd, I had enough practice. Like I said, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, so to say. And I've been in eight going on nine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The message in your book about Black America hodling crypto, stacking sets. Are people actually taking your advice on this? Are you seeing that there's actually people listening to what you're saying and and internalizing it, telling other people? Are you seeing that it's spreading through communities around America? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I write about this in the second edition of Bitcoin and Black America. And we've also created a website, Black Bitcoin Billionaire, which is on Clubhouse. The biggest Bitcoin group on Clubhouse is Black Bitcoin Billionaire. And literally, you have Black people who want this information. They didn't know where to find it. Now that they have found it, yes, so many people we've impacted, thousands of people. And I mean, I have a few people that have credited with me with bringing the most black people into the crypto space in the world. I don't know if that's accurate, but now we have the data to back that up uh, with Black Bitcoin Billionaire, with signups, with giving away money to people uh, throughout this month because we have a Satoshi Millionaire campaign. So, yes, I've seen it. Black people have been in this space. They've been working. They, uh, I mean, they have just as much information as anybody else. They are adopting it. The problem is uh, to mainstream media, it's mostly a still a white guy's game. It's still, you know, very, you know, mainstream CNBC, Fox News doesn't really focus on the black community. But now they are. They've they've brought me on a few times. And now people are starting to see that I'm not alone. There's plenty of us out here. You know, that's interesting that you said that people think of it as a white man's game. That goes back to something I was thinking just the other day. And I was when I was watching the whole Wall Street bets thing. And if you see the Wall Street bets and you see their logo, it's a little white cartoon guy with yeah. blonde hair, <laughs> with hair whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was I was thinking to myself, could that be a black guy? And, and, and like after putting that black guy on Wall Street bets, it couldn't be a black guy. How do you change that perception? How do you change that that Wall Street bets cartoon could be anyone to f- give you the feeling of wealth, of power, of of upward mobility? Well, stereotypically speaking, when people think about Wall Street, they think about a white guy with a suit that looks like that. So I, I, I see why they did it. But again, you're right. Why couldn't it have been a black person? Or why couldn't it have been anybody else? 
And to me, it's more about representation matters. For a lot of white people, they have a lot of white representation. So to them, it's not even a thing. It's just like, oh yeah, white people are the standard. That's the template. When you go from, if they put a black person, people would automatically assume, oh, this is a black group of people doing it. When in actuality, it could be 100% mm-hmm. white people and it could just be, but that's what that's what we mean is that we're not even regarded as a possibility to be a Wall Street person because that's not what you think of when you think mm-hmm. of Wall Street. Same thing with tech. In the tech world, you're not, you think about tech, you don't think about young black dudes, usually. The th- thing is, Bitcoin combines both of those, so it's even harder. Uh, the problem is that Bitcoin was created for everybody. So even if your perception is different, anybody can join it. It's open source technology. So that means that black people are going to be a part of it and are a part of it. So, uh, yes, you're right. <laughs> I see those little nuances as well. And unfortunately, a lot of black people feel the same way as white people. They think white people are superior in the tech and financial world, which is why you have rappers who are rich, who have come into the Bitcoin space. They have a clubhouse or they have a meeting and it's all white dudes because they think the same thing. As soon as you make it, you get a white or or a Jewish lawyer. You get a white or a Jewish accountant. You get a white. That's literally (laughs) what black people think. It's like, oh, I made it. So now I need to get white people on my team because that means I really made it. There are black people who didn't believe me for years until I was on a mainstream news site with other white people. As soon as I was on CNBC, I had family members. I was like, oh, you must really know about this Bitcoin stuff. Been doing it for eight years, uncle uh, or grandpa. <laughs> but that's that's validation to some people. And Stockholm Syndrome is very real in the black community. And I need people to understand that I'm battling two fronts. On one front, we're trying to erase the historical implications. And on another front, I'm trying to erase the mental state of a lot of black people who think that in order to make it or to be valid, you need to be around white people. So that's where that comes from. I just interviewed Spencer Spencer Dinwiddie the other day about his uh, ventures into Bitcoin and blockchain. And um, he is, I think, a very good role model and a good example of really taking the lead, not only in his industry, um, but really seizing the opportunity and leading with it. What do you think that these other um, individuals should be doing to really lead with it like spencer is maybe even soldier boy i don't know how he's doing he's more of like a i think he's more more for the hype than actual you know the tech yeah. uh but there are some people in in the crypto space that are really taking the lead what do you think they can do to help you with your journey oh yeah i think they can start to search out black people in the space to help them simply because not because they're black or because but because we are some of the best that's not that's not the difference we're basing it on merit and when you look up people in the Bitcoin space, usually the same names come up. It's a big circle jerk of the same 10, 15 people. The problem is you get the same opinions, the same ideas, and you're getting it from a crowd that didn't grow up like you did. I grew up similar to Spencer Dinwiddie, like a lot of people did. And I think he has the playbook for how you should operate in this industry. Created his shoe, sold it for crypto. He's trying to tokenize his contract. Um, even we can we can shout out Russell Okun who's trying to get paid in Bitcoin in the NFL, right. who plays for the Panthers. They, they have the playbook. They are doing it the correct way. The problem is, a lot of times, speaking to professional athletes, some who are friends or some who uh, friends have worked with, they don't want to say it out loud because they don't actually understand <laughs> what their money's doing. They have financial managers for that. If your financial manager is an idiot, though, who ha- helped you miss the biggest investment of our lifetime, then you're going to keep getting these, no, don't buy Bitcoin. It's too risky. No, don't buy Bitcoin because it's criminals. That's mm-hmm. what they, I think that's what they experience. So they, they push away from it. Like, hey, I, I might own a little bit, but I don't really know about it. So uh, getting them to speak out is kind of hard because they may not be knowledgeable. But for the ones that are, like Spencer Dinwiddie, I appreciate it because they're starting to see you more than an athlete. You're not some idiot that just plays basketball. He's a, he's literally a tech guy who happens to be 6'6". 
Like mm-hmm. that's that's what I got when I met him in L.A. Um, and that's what I've, I've gotten over the years. So shout out to Spencer Dinwiddie. Man, that's that's actually a very good. It's not some idiot that just plays basketball. You know, you because the thing is, you see their their acclimate on the field. You see them in what they do best, and that's playing basketball or sports or whatever. And they're they're athletes, top notch athletes. Mm-hmm. And you don't ever get to sit down and just have a conversation with them because you know if anybody in the mainstream media is going to talk to them, they're going to say, "Hey, talk about the game the other day. Let's talk about you know how you're playing. Let's talk about an injury. Let's talk about your team, your coach, whatever." They never just sit down and actually talk to the person. So when I was talking to Spencer, I was like. Bro, you you taking me to school here? Hold on, hold on. Let's calm down here a second. Yeah, and, very, and, very smart man. And you're right, man. He's he's a he's a six foot six nerd. Yeah, one hundred percent. Basketball, yeah. What just happens to be good at basketball? And after yeah. that basketball is gone, he's gonna he's gonna be just nerding it up, and I, he's gonna be leading the charge with uh in tech, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I can see that happening even while he's still playing. I think mm-hmm. he can start leading that charge, which he already has. So definitely, uh, shout out to him, and I hope he convinced some of his teammates like Kyrie Irving. Some of the other ones, because I actually gave Spencer Dinwiddie a book, Bitcoin in Black America, back in 2018. So hopefully he shared it with them. <laughs> Real quick, before, last question before I go, because I just want to know who you're paying attention to. There's a couple of people that just got on my radar just the other day, like Spencer's one of them. Um, uh, Chamath Paliapatia is on, on my radar. There's a lot of people that are on my radar that weren't on my radar before that I follow now, I listen to, that I think are going to be the the leaders of this next generation of finance, of, of investment, of thought, of innovation. Who are you watching? Oh, yeah. So I watch Jack Maulers, who uh, helped create the Strike app and has uh, done lightning development. Uh, him and another guy called Roast Beef on Twitter. Uh, uh, Olawu, he's actually works for Lightning Labs. So the work that they're doing with the Lightning Network is great. Jack Maulers uh, has... Uh, he's been in the news recently because he was the one that helped Russell Kuhn accept Bitcoin as payment as an NFL player. Mm-hmm. So I watch him. Uh, I definitely watch uh, Lamar Wilson, who he helped me co-found the Black Bitcoin Billionaires, but I still look up to him because he is one of the people who were in Bitcoin 2011. He created one of the first Bitcoin wallets. Uh, he <clears throat> has uh, you know free Bitcoin courses. He created the biggest online community in Facebook history uh, for Bitcoin. Like He's amazing. So I still look up to him. I follow him. Uh, some of the newer people coming in, uh, I definitely follow Michael Saylor. Uh, even though we do have a joke, it's like we we figured that billionaires would show up and be like, hey, I'm a billionaire. So why am I not the most popular? And we always laugh. Right. Like, hey, you just got here six months ago, bro. But right. I do follow Michael Saylor because a lot of what he says resonates with billionaires. I can't speak to billionaires because I'm not one, but he can. I, I definitely follow him. So him, Jack Maulers, uh, Lamar Wilson, uh, those are probably my three top that I, that I follow. Right on. Isaiah Jackson, author of Bitcoin and Black America, and apparently doing a lot of other stuff. I just can't list them all in this title. Thank you for coming on the show and catching us up, bro. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you, like always, for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew, and please go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, rate, share, and leave a comment. The comments I use as a way for feedback. So if you guys want to know something about the podcast, too long, too short, anything, just put it in there. I'll be happy to read it. You could also send me an email at MatthewAaron at Decrypt.co if you want to give me feedback that way. But I do like the comments because the people can read the comments, especially if they're good comments, so they know they're going to get the best, most reliable information as they jump down the rabbit hole. I'll see you tomorrow for weekend updates. Happy hodling.